All right, well, we are uh, going to get started. What a great time of worship. Wasn't that amazing? Thank, thank you, worship team. That was awesome. Uh, as we uh, dive in this morning, I, I had an amazing experience this last week as a dad. We talk about trust. Uh, this week, uh, last Saturday, actually, my daughter had a loose tooth, and uh, she's kind of a new experience for her with this, this loose front tooth, and she went to bed on Saturday night, and she could not fall asleep. She was so concerned about this, this tooth in her mouth. And, and finally, she, she was tossing, she was turning. Finally, she got up out of bed. She came into our bedroom, and she was crying. She didn't know what to do. She's, she's actually never had to wiggle a tooth out. She's only had one other loose tooth, and it came out in a hoagie. That's how you know you're a Philly girl right there, you know? <laughs> Well, this tooth had to be wiggled out. She came to the bedroom, she was crying, and she was so afraid to wiggle it out herself. And I reminded her of a story that I used to read to her as a little girl in the, the Berenstain Bears, where it's a uh, sister bear has a, a loose tooth, and she goes to the dentist, and the dentist grabs the tooth and just wiggles it out, it comes right out. And I said, I'd be willing to do that, if you'd let me. And she came over, she opened her mouth, and I, she let me grab the tooth, wiggle it a little bit. It came right out. She ran to the mirror right away. She looked at the, the new space in her mouth, and she started laughing, and we all started celebrating, and she got her American Girl mini mystery pack or whatever it was. And it was just such an amazing moment. And I think for me as a dad, one of those moments, I've been through a lot of things with my kids. It was the first time I'd wiggled out a tooth. And some of you guys have some amazing stories of, you know, ways you've gotten your kids' teeth out. But it really was a, a milestone for me. But I think the most amazing part of it all is that my daughter trusted me. I think we know as parents that our kids aren't always ready to trust us. And... In this moment, it was an amazing moment where my daughter was afraid and she actually trusted me. I think about all the things we're going through in life and we battle so many fears. Fears that are much, much bigger than a loose tooth. Maybe it's the direction the economy's going and, and there's fear of losing a job or, or maybe you're, you're afraid that something might happen to one of your children or maybe, you know, for you, unfortunately, right now, you're, you're worried about what could happen with your marriage. Or, or maybe, maybe you're, you're praying and, and you're concerned about a health situation for someone you love. And you're, you're just praying that this, this treatment works out. There's so many battles that we face. And as we've been talking about over the course of this series on the book of Isaiah... In the midst of these fears, we have an opportunity to trust. We have an opportunity in the midst of fear to put our trust in the Lord. And it actually is a, <clears throat> excuse me, it actually is a choice. We talked about this last week. We can choose to rely on ourselves. We can choose to do it on our own. We can be independent from God. Or we can choose to put our trust in the Lord. It's a choice that that we all have an opportunity to make. But how do we do that? 
like my daughter did? How do we choose to trust? That's not always an easy thing to do. We are in the final episode of the first season of a series here at Hope on the book of Isaiah. And today we are going to look at the story of King Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah finds himself in a situation where he is afraid. And yet he is able to overcome that fear by putting his trust in the Lord. And today I want to show you three simple steps that you can take today, right now, to overcome fear in your life and to put your trust in God in the midst of the battle. That's what's on the table for us today. So uh, this will be our series finale. Pretty exciting. Season two kicks off next year in the spring. Don't worry, there's not like a season three, four, and five, although we're just going to keep <laughs> preaching God's word. But, uh, but we've got one more series on Isaiah in the spring, and we'll do chapters 40 to 66. Let me set the stage. If you have your Bible, open it up to Isaiah chapter 36. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 36 and 37 today. While you're turning there, I want to put the map up that we looked at last week. This map is called the Assyrian Empire in Isaiah's time. And this will give you a picture of the historical context. This is what's happening in the world during Isaiah's time. As you can see from the years 745 to 701 BC, the Assyrian Empire overran this region of the world with their military strength and dominance. Nation after nation fell. No one could stop them. No one could defeat the Assyrian army. Even uh, the northern kingdom of Israel fell in 722 BC. Last week we saw how, the, how Assyria expanded uh, from that purple region all the way out to that green region. Well, this week, they're here. The Assyrians have arrived. The battle has come to the gates. Um, Isaiah and, and Hezekiah and, and all the people in, in Jerusalem have been terrified seeing this moment on the horizon. And, and today we're right here in this, this brown region. And you can see the, the uh, note here has the brown region. There's Jerusalem. It says this brown area was conquered by Sennacherib. Sennacherib was the king of Assyria. And he marched through in 701 BC. And he began decimating city after city until only one city remained, and that was the city of Jerusalem. Isaiah's in there. Hezekiah is in there. And of course, they don't have the military strength to beat such a powerful enemy. They don't know what to do, and everyone is afraid. What's going to happen? How will this story turn out? This is such an important event in biblical history, in the history of the world, it's actually recorded for us in three different books of the Bible. You can find it in 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, and Isaiah. It's also recorded in ancient Assyrian history. We'll see some of those records today. And it's pretty amazing how 
how what the Assyrians say happened in history concurs exactly with the description we find in the Bible. It is really amazing how God's book is so true to history and life. So uh, if you're in Isaiah 36, pick it up with me in Isaiah 36, 1 through 3. This is the, the setup here. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, that's 701 B.C., King Sennacherib. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. There were about 46 cities, all of them, attacked and captured by Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Verse 2, Then the king of Assyria sent his field commander with a large army from Lachish, to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. When the commander stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the launderer's field, now, oh yeah, you all know where that is, right? The launderer's field, of course. Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, son of Ahaf, the recorder, went out to him. So underline with me uh, the aqueduct of the upper pool. The aqueduct of the upper pool. Uh, whenever kings in these walled cities were preparing for battle, they would go to the aqueduct. They wanted to inspect the water source. They want to make sure the city has water when the enemy comes and surrounds them. And so here's Hezekiah at the aqueduct of the upper pool. Now you may not remember it, but we've actually been here before. Maybe right in your margin, Isaiah 7.3. This is the exact place, the aqueduct. This is the exact spot where 35 years ago Isaiah stood and he urged King Ahaz to put his trust in the Lord. And of course, uh, King Ahaz refuses to trust God. His fear wins out over his faith. But now here we are, 35 years later, King Hezekiah, and he's, he's going to put his faith over his fear. He's going to put his trust in the Lord. He's going to learn the lessons of trust between Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 39. And we can too, guys. We can trust God in the battles we face. We can overcome our fears. And I want to show you three simple steps that are going to help you and I do that today. So let's pray and we'll dive in. God, you are an awesome, awesome God. We thank you. We get to be here today. Thank you for a spiritual family. Thank you for encouragement from your word and the examples of, of biblical characters who... Though they had flaws, though they had fears, they said yes to trusting in you. And we just come here today and, and we have battles and we have struggles and we have fears and we need you, Lord. We need you to come and, and to give us the strength and the courage to face those battles as those who are trusting in you. So help us, God, to do that today. Speak to us through your word. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do we trust God in the battle? Number one, pretty important here, don't entertain a conversation with the enemy. Right? Whenever you find yourself in the battle, the enemy's going to be there. And we don't want to entertain those conversations with the enemy. Take a look at Isaiah 36.4. We'll just continue on. We've got Sennacherib, the great king of Assyria. He's come. He's taken down 46 cities in the nation of Judah. <clears throat> There's only one remains, the city of Jerusalem. But notice, rather than attacking this city, 
Sennacherib sends his third in command, his field commander, the Rab Shakah, to threaten Hezekiah and to scare him into a surrender. Sennacherib is going to get this city one way or another. He'd like Hezekiah just to cave out of fear so that they can come in and, and establish their rule over the entire region. So here comes the Rab Shakah, the number third three guy, the field commander. Verse 4. The field commander said to him, Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria, says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have counsel and might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look, I know you're depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it. Remember we talked about that last week? There was this, this group of advisors and they're like making secret plans to trust in Egypt. Well, this guy's done his homework, the, the Rob Shakai. He says, I, we know you're trying to depend on Egypt, but they're like a, a splintered reed of a staff. You'll lean on it and the staff will break. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. But if you say to me, we're depending on the Lord God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship God before this altar? There's a side story here. Hezekiah, there was a great revival, and he, he renewed the, the worship back to the way it was supposed to be with one altar in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, and you can read that on your own. But the, he says, come now. Come and make a bargain with me. Make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I'll give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. How then can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials even though you're depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen. Further, I've come to attack and destroy this land without the Lord. The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. So what's he saying? Like, do you think Egypt can help you? Egypt can't help you. You think the Lord's going to help you? The Lord's not going to help you. Not against us. Oh, you're, you need some horses? How about this? We'll give you 2,000 horses. You still won't stop us. This is what you call biblical trash talk. Right here, it's happening. A lot of trash talk. Right? Isn't that how the enemy wants us? The enemy wants us afraid. The enemy wants us to feel inadequate. The enemy wants us defeated. So he's spreading fear and lies. Verse 11. Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to the field commander... Please speak to your servants in Aramaic. Aramaic's the language of Assyria. Why would they ask that? We understand that. Don't speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people on the wall. They don't want the people to hear these threats. Because it's going to create fear in the city. The commander replied, Was it only your master and you that my master sent me to say these things? And not to the people sitting on the wall who, like you, will have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine. That's pretty gross. But when you have a city under siege, it, it's, and there's no food. I don't even think I would go to that level, but this is, this is some real trash talk right here. So then the commander stands up and he calls out in Hebrew. He wants everybody to be afraid. Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. 
This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He can't deliver you. Don't let Hezekiah persuade you to trust the Lord when he says, the Lord will deliver us. The city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. That's Hezekiah's trust. Don't listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. He's saying, make peace with me, but also I'm taking you out. I'm deporting you all over, all over the world. And they would do that. Don't let Hezekiah mislead you when he says, the Lord will deliver us. Have the gods of any nations ever delivered their lands from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sephar? Oh, that's a tough one. Sephar Vaim. Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries have been able to save their lands from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? That's tough. You're going to trust God, are you? You think God can help you? Where were the gods of all these other nations? Your God's not going to help you. Do you think God will actually make any difference in this situation? That's what he's saying. It's a bit of psychological warfare, isn't it? But I love the response of verse 21. And this is for us. The people remained silent and said nothing in reply. Because the king had commanded, do not answer him. A lot of wisdom from King Hezekiah there. The enemy is going to come. The enemy is going to speak lies and all kinds of fear. But whatever you do, don't engage in a conversation with the enemy. Be quiet. Don't say a word. Don't reply all. Don't have a conversation with the enemy. Isn't it amazing whenever we get into a battle, the enemy is right there? And what does the devil try to do? He, he tries to, to defeat us in our mind. He wants to influence our thinking with fear and with lies. Never fails, does it? Oh, you'll, you'll never get through this. God's not going to help you. Your, your marriage will never get better. You'll never be able to pay those bills. Your, 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 your kids will never get over this issue. Oh, you think God's going to help you? He doesn't care about you. He's not going to... He's not going to answer your prayers. Don't trust in the Lord. It's one lie after another. Psychological warfare. Guys, it's a battle for our mind. Every battle comes with a battle for our mind. I love the story of Walt Disney. Walt Disney uh, got his, one of his first jobs as an animator at the Kansas City Star. And then in 1919, he was fired as an animator. Walt Disney. Why? Because the editor said that Walt Disney lacked imagination. He had no good ideas. But Walt Disney didn't let those negative thoughts enter into the conversation. He kept the faith alive. Same thing happened to the Beatles. In 1962, before they were big name, the Beatles, before anybody really knew who they were, they had a, an audition with a record company, Decca Records, and the studio rejected them. 
didn't want anything to do with the Beatles. That's a big whoops of history right there. Why didn't they, why didn't they sign a record contract with the Beatles? This is what the record company said. They said, we don't like their sound. They have no future in show business. <laughs> uh, rather than listening to those negative voices, the Beatles kept on believing. I mean, try to put yourself in, in these situations. Those would, have been, those would have been pretty tough, tough conversations to have in their minds. And I just think whenever we find ourselves in the battle, the enemy is always speaking. Because the enemy wants us discouraged. The enemy wants us defeated. The enemy wants us doubting the Lord. And the only thing he needs to do is to get us to engage in that conversation. And he can win. See, if he can win the victory over our mind, he can win the victory over our life. But if we want to walk in faith, if we want to walk in strength, if we want to press towards those victories and put our faith over our fear, we, it's going to start right here with obeying the command of King Hezekiah. Do not enter into a conversation with the enemy. Do not let those lies enter your heart. Do not let that fear enter into your mind. It's the first step to winning the battle of trust. Don't listen to the negative voices in the lives of the enemy. Number two, second step to winning the battle of trust. We want to spread it out before the Lord. We want to take our concerns and lay it out before the Lord in prayer. Very great contrast here. Instead of engaging with a conversation with the enemy, let's engage in a conversation with the Lord. Don't have a conversation with the enemy. Begin a conversation with God. This is one of those secrets to putting our trust in the Lord. Look what happens next. Isaiah 37, verse 1. When King Hezekiah heard this, he's heard the, the threats of the Rabshakeh. He tore his clothes and put on sackcloth. He's humbling himself. He went into the temple of the Lord. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, and they told him, this is what Hezekiah says. This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace. As when children have come to the moment of birth and there's no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the field commander, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God. And that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray. Pray for the remnant that still survives. Do you see what Hezekiah does in his moment of fear and distress? He, he immediately humbles himself. And then he goes to the temple of the Lord. And he sends a, a message to the prophet Isaiah. And he says, please pray for us. And I just think today in our own troubles, in our own difficulty, there isn't a better prescription than this, than to, to, to humble ourselves and to go to the house of God and to talk to the man of God and to ask for prayer. There's no better thing to do in our, our difficulty and our stress 
And this is why here at Hope we have elders. We have a team of pastors who are here for this very purpose. And when we are going through difficult times, we can reach out, we can be strengthened, we can get prayer. It only takes a little effort on our part to humble ourselves, to reach out and say, this is what I'm going through. Will you pray for me? You have people here who care for you. You have people here who love you and want to pray for you. So if you're going through something today, don't hesitate to reach out and to ask for prayer. That's what Hezekiah did. Well, if it wasn't enough for the Rob Shekah to come and to give these terrifying threats, now we have the great Sennacherib, the king of Assyria himself, who's sending a threatening letter to Hezekiah. And you can read it for yourself in 37. It basically says, Hezekiah shouldn't trust the Lord because if he doesn't surrender, <laughs> I'm going to conquer this city. This city is going down. So surrender or else. And we all know what it's like to get a bad report. It can shake us to the core. But I love the faith of, a, of Hezekiah here. Isaiah 37, 14 to 15. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and he read it. And went up to the temple of the Lord. And here it is. He spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. What a powerful moment, isn't it? It's a great lesson for all of us. Hezekiah takes his fear. He immediately goes to the presence of God. He doesn't go to his advisors. He doesn't go check out the numbers. Okay, how many chariots do we have? No, no, no. He gets, he gets this report and he immediately goes to the presence of God and he lays it out before the Lord in prayer. God, I don't know what to do with this, but I'm giving it to you. He spread it out before the Lord. And I don't know what situation you're walking through today. And maybe you're saying, I don't know what to do. You can do exactly what King Hezekiah did. You can go right into the presence of God and you can spread it out before the Lord. And maybe for you that looks like literally getting the medical report and taking it into your prayer time and laying it out before God. Maybe it's, it's literally getting a hold of your credit card bill and saying, I don't know how I'm going to pay for this bill, God, but I am laying it out before you. Maybe it's your child's report card. <laughs> what are we going to do with this? Here's what we're going to do with this. We're actually going to bring it into our prayer time. We're going to spread it out before the Lord. That's what Hezekiah does. God, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to put my trust in you. I'm, I'm giving this fully to God. I'm fully trusting in him. When your heart's troubled, what's the very first thing you do? Who's the first person you talk to? Hezekiah says, I'm going right to the Lord. And I'm going to spread it out before the Lord. Notice the, the humble and powerful prayer of faith that Hezekiah prays. Isaiah 37, 16. The Lord Almighty, the God of Israel enthroned between the cherubim. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. Now what about Assyria? 
Yeah, he's, the, he's king over that too. You've made the heaven and earth. Nothing's too hard for you. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. We can literally take our situation and bring it all before the Lord. There's a, a genuineness of that. This is what's going on, God. It's, it's true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste all these peoples and their lands. They've thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone, fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. Powerful prayer. Do you notice how he magnifies the majesty of God? This is my God. He is the Lord Almighty. He's sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth. He is able to deliver. He is able to rescue because he is real. He is powerful. He can save. Part of the power of prayer is that we're, we're, we're taking the truth of who God is and we're replacing the lies of the enemy. And I'm not going to believe what the enemy said. I'm coming to the Lord in prayer and I'm going to reestablish the truth of who God is in this moment. It's how we fight the battle. It's how we overcome our fears with faith. Number one, we do not have the conversation with the enemy. Number two, we spread it out before the Lord. That's what Hezekiah did. Last one, celebrate every victory. Celebrate every victory. Hezekiah prays fervently to the Lord. Isaiah responds back. He's got a message from God. Isaiah 37, 33. This is, from, this is Isaiah's message to King Hezekiah. Very prophetic. This is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. Some crazy things happen after that. Just as Isaiah predicts, strange things happen, unpredictable things happen. Isn't it crazy to think the forces of Assyria come down? They have decimated 46 strong, fortified, walled cities. Nobody's been able to stop these guys. Hezekiah does not have an army strong enough to stand against these Assyrian forces. And yet, as soon as that army that Assyrian army gets to Jerusalem, it just seems to melt. Kind of just withers away. Isn't that kind of crazy? How does that happen? What's, it, what's the explanation for that? Why isn't Jerusalem taken? Haven't had a problem taking all the strong cities, and yet... How come when they get to Jerusalem, not even an arrow shot, not even a wall is knocked down. There's not even a battle. 
Isn't that kind of crazy? So how do we explain that? First explanation comes from King Sennacherib. Would you like to see his explanation? His, this, this comes right from the politician's mouth. So just know that. This is, uh, comes from Sennacherib's prism. It's a 15-inch tall, six-sided baked clay prism now on display at the British Museum. It was found in the ruins of Nineveh. This is where Sennacherib recorded all of his campaigns, including this one. So would you like to know how Sennacherib explains the situation? I would. Here's how he describes it. This is not a biblical source, by the way. As to Hezekiah the Jew, let's just start there. Is there historical record that there was a king named Hezekiah? Yeah, it's right here. <laughs> the Bible's not making this stuff up. As to Hezekiah the Jew, he didn't submit to my yoke. I laid siege to 46 of his strong cities, walled forts into countless small villages in their vicinity, and conquered them. I drove out of them 200,150 people. Himself I made a prisoner in Jerusalem, his royal residence, like a bird in a cage. Then I constructed a series of fortresses around him, and I didn't allow anyone to come out of the city gates. Thus, I reduced his country, but I still increased the tribute. So all this lines up with the Bible's account in 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, Isaiah. All the cities that were defeated, um, it all lines up. But help me out with this. He's decimated 46 of the strongest cities around. He's ramping up the battle for Jerusalem. Nobody can come in or leave. He's got Hezekiah like a bird in a cage. And he just leaves it for a little bit of tribute and goes home? I don't think so. Taking the great city of Jerusalem would have been the crowning achievement of this campaign. This was the city to take, the capital city. And he mysteriously, in, even in this record, drops off the battle and goes home doesn't make any sense why if he was that strong and that mighty why doesn't he take jerusalem why isn't there an arrow shot it doesn't make any sense well the bible explains verse 36 the angel of the lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the assyrian camp and when the people got up the next morning there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. Hezekiah never surrendered. The Assyrians never shot an arrow into Jerusalem. Not a wall was knocked down. There were no siege ramps. What happened that day? Could it be that God delivered this city? Could something miraculous have happened? Like 185,000 troops dying in the field and Sennacherib just going, I gotta go home. Because I'm, I'm fighting against the Lord. It's a victory we're celebrating. Try to explain this. Take a look at this map. I can't explain this for the life of me. Here is the Assyrian Empire at its height. 
they go on to conquer many lands. They become the largest empire the world has ever seen. Except do you notice one place where they're not in charge? It's like a tiny dot there called Jerusalem. Can you explain that? I can't explain that. Other than God fights for his people. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord. He put his faith over his fear. I can't explain that. City of Jerusalem, they were hoping Egypt could help them. Egypt didn't stand a chance. But they were stronger with the Lord than they were without him. This week, we have an opportunity to do just what we're talking about. We have an opportunity to celebrate every victory. It's Thursday, is Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. It's a day to pause, to remember all that we're thankful for. And I want to encourage you this week, celebrate those victories. Even the little victories. Even the tiniest little victories along the way. Those are worth celebrating. We remember God has done great things for us. He really has. What what are you thanking God for this year? What are you celebrating? What are you praising God for? I, I mean, we can start with the fact that Jesus has won the victory. He saved us by dying on the cross for our sins and rising from the dead. And and it's simply by trusting in Jesus that we are saved. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to, to deserve it. Jesus fought the battle. He did what we could never do. He paid the price for sin so that we could have a relationship with God, for an eternal life with God. And that, that's ours by faith. And now we have a God and we can bring our prayers to him. Has God answered some prayers for you this year? He has for us. Right, let's celebrate those answers to prayer. Let's thank him for those answers to prayer. The, the Vincents, we were praying for Angie to get a job. Her, her job came to an end in October. We were praying. Our small group was praying. The elders were praying. And I have a testimony. God answered that prayer. He did. And he's, he's given us the perfect job and the perfect opportunity. He's faithful. He's faithful to us, guys. We, we meet as a as staff, and we meet as elders, I'm always talking about, hey guys, what are our wins? What can we celebrate? Wins is, is kind of a Brianism here at Hope. Why do we do that? Why do we say this was a win or we celebrate this win? Because when we remember our wins, when we remember our little victories, it reminds us that God is at work. It encourages us that this is the God we can trust. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. So let's celebrate those victories this week, even the little ones. How do we win the battle of trust? Number one, don't entertain a conversation with the enemy. Number two, spread it out before the Lord. Number three, celebrate every victory. This is how you can trust God in your battle today. Let me pray for you. God, thanks for who you are. You are the Lord of hosts. It just means you're the Lord of heaven's armies. You are a strong and mighty God. You are able because you are real and you are strong and you are powerful. And you will do things in our life that we never even could think or imagine. And so we come today, we we come with our fears. We come with our battles and all the 
the conversations of the enemy that swim around in our mind. And I just pray today that you would give us the strength to say no to the enemy's lies and to say yes to the truth of who you are. Show us your majesty. Show us your victory. Show us your strength in ways that we can't even comprehend this week. Help us to understand that we don't have to be afraid because you are with us and you are strong and you will fight for us. As we celebrate at Thanksgiving this week, encourage us in our faith. Help us as we gather with family and friends to lift up the name of Jesus and to say, look what Jesus has done for me. He is real. He is awesome. Lord, we love you. And maybe we say the hardest words of all today. We put our trust in you. We don't know what to do, but we put our trust in you. Thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that you love us. And thank you that you are the God we can trust. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.